No pressure. <laughs> it's true, though, that on any given Sunday or Friday morning or any other gathering of the church, wherever you might be, um, the important voice to hear is the one that belongs to the Holy Spirit. Um, so, yeah. And I trust that God will do that. And he knows even how to blank things out if he didn't, you know, if I go slightly misstep, he knows how to blank it out. But, you know, we walk humbly. But, yeah, so we are in a season. Uh, some people love the sort of really um, benefiting from the Christian calendar. There's, you know, if you come from a tra- traditional church background, there's seasons like Lent, which is what we are in at the moment, which is this journey of the lead up to um, celebrating, and I use that word deliberately, celebrating Christ's death and resurrection. Um, You know, Lent is an important season in the Christian calendar, and we're heading that way. We don't, you know, make a big deal of um, those sort of uh, liturgical calendar phase things, but they're there. But, you know, as I was thinking about that and pondering um, with the Lord, um, he really brought something to my heart that is kind of part of that journey and the lead up towards Palm Sunday and towards um, Christ's passion, his, his death and burial and resurrection. And, and it's just this little... Almost a comedic throwaway line that we find in John's Gospel. So I'd like I'd like you to just read um, along with me for a bit, if you will. It'll be on screen. Are we good to go with that? Karen, good on you. Well done. Um, <laughs> John chapter eleven um, is an extraordinary chapter in the ministry of Jesus, and uh, I, I find the author's personality kind of jumps out in this passage a bit. Um, I reckon John, the author, had a sense of humour and, um, and I think it shows through. But let's have a read, shall we? So starting from verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Sorry, if I sound a bit croaky and all that, I've <clears throat> been away you know, last night I was sitting around a campfire, you know, breathing smoke and sleeping on the hard ground and <laughs> pulling, pulling leeches off. And, but no, we had a lovely time, but it was, it's Aaron's Bucks party weekend, so I came back a little bit early, so it was a bit sad. Having all my sons together in one place is a pretty special occasion these days, so anyway... I'll move on. But if I sound a bit croaky, that's why. Um, Yeah, Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Um, It's interesting. I think John is aware that he's writing to people who know the stories because in his gospel that hasn't happened yet. So he's just identifying, oh, for all of you guys who have heard all this preached for the last however many years, it's this this Mary. 
So it's just interesting. You find the personality of the author just coming through at times. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, obviously because Lazarus wasn't in any fit state to do so. Lord, the one you love is sick. And uh, again, I find this just so interesting because John, actually, unlike the other Gospels where Jesus, it's it's very much focused on Jesus, his ministry and his teaching to the disciples, you don't see a lot of other specific characters. But John loves to to bring out people who are actually important, who Jesus makes a, a real specific connection to that are not part of the 12. I like that, don't you? You know, we've got people like Nicodemus who his name comes up. And obviously there was a connection there that happened, not just when he came to see Jesus, but in what happened after. You know, And so we see these connections. The one you love is sick. Jesus actually had an important relationship outside of the 12, outside of his family. And so when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. So he's speaking life immediately, straight away speaking hope. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. He sees the hand of God at work. Straight away, he knows the Father's up to something. And this is not going to finish with death. But straight away, you can already hear that hint. But it might involve it. It's not going to end there. But it might involve it. Just a hint of what's to come. And I feel like this whole story is actually a precursor. It's actually paving a way, building an expectation, if you like, of what is to come. Not just for Lazarus, but for Christ himself and for all of us. And he sees the glory of God in store. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I love that, like, thank you for telling me that, you know, that's it. Jesus is so personal. He's not aloof. He's not distant. He's not like handing out, you know, eternal truths for you to go away and memorize. He loved these people. They mattered to him deeply. Sometimes we can read over this and not, not let that sink in, you know, what it tells us about him, what he's like. And if we're, not, if we're not getting from scripture what God is like, then we're probably not sitting in it enough, you know, because that's what it's all about. This is what God is like. But here's the puzzle of the whole piece, the whole picture. So when he heard this... He loved them so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples after two days of hanging around, and they're probably like, obviously we're not going to do anything about Lazarus right now. That's cool. We'll just stay here and keep doing our thing. But after two days, he says to them, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, 
A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you're going back. So now they've got an issue because they're like, oh, okay, we are going back. But it's not very safe. This, you know, Judea is not a safe place for you and hence for us either. Are we really going to do this? And Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. So obviously, it's kind of a roundabout way of saying, guys, I'm not blind. I see all that. I know what's going on. I know the risks. But I I really see. I don't just see it at the surface level. I see what God is doing. I see bigger than the threat. And maybe that's good for us sometimes to help us realize that there is a greater light, there is a greater awareness to walk by than the threat that we see in the natural realm, the threat that might be, you know, looming up at us from sources that, you know, we experience in our natural um, walk through life. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And, I mean, this just sort of shows to me that Jesus is now introducing a whole other way of looking at death. This is, he's, he's introducing, and Paul picks up on it later on, when he talks about believers who have fallen asleep. This is like a new idea that's being sown into his people now, the idea that death is not the end. Can you, hear the, can you hear it building through the story? Death is not the end. Death is not the end. And that is perhaps a whole other message on another day to, to unpack that. But, but that's why we're here, right? Because Jesus tells us death is not the end. He has fallen asleep and I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Who, who's ever been like just absolutely rotten with a nasty fever and then you get that sleep where you're like it's broken this is the best sleep I've ever had now <laughs> and you know that when you wake up you'll feel like I'm, I'm good I'm on my road to recovery and that's natural that's what they're thinking but he's trying to get them to see differently see bigger So Jesus is actually, I mean, I don't know, is he playing games with them? Is he, is he trying to draw them out? It's like, does the word play actually get their thinking caps on somehow? I know it sort of gets ours on, you know, when we see this happening where, where it's almost like Jesus is playing games, but he's not. I think sometimes he has to shake us up a little to get us to actually hear what he's trying to say. But now he's, he's like... I better tell them what I'm really talking about here and explain it because they're a bit thick. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And he probably did it with tears in his eyes, not like me. (laughs) This is a guy that Jesus loved. He cared that, Grief was now 
overwhelming Lazarus' sisters. Jesus himself is like grieving the whole process, I think, and yet knowing God is in it. But we see that he actually does when he gets to later on. And we won't, we won't go through the whole story, but you know, when he stands there in front of the tomb, he weeps. His grief is real. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. See, again, Jesus is like, God has something bigger in plan. Death is not the end. It begs the question, what would have happened if Jesus was there? You know, I was reading through one commentary and just pondering all this. And, and, and this particular author made the point that what we see in this story is that even though Jesus dearly loves people, He's actually not at, he doesn't respond to pressures that anyone else brings upon him. He doesn't respond to people telling him what to do or like, this is Lazarus, you know, the one you love, you should come. The only voice he is listening to is his father. It's like, I know But I've heard from God that this death is not the end. And so he actually has a different, completely different outlook on the situation then. And he's able to say, I'm actually glad for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. You know, maybe if he was there, that would have, it's a hypothetical. If I was there, it's because the father wanted to heal him. And that would have been wonderful. He did that for so many people. Everybody who came to Jesus for healing was healed. But in this instance, something greater, something that glorifies God, the Father, and that Jesus himself, God's Son, is glorified through it. And here's the line that I just want to park on for a little bit. Thomas, also known as Didymus. It's like, I'm just going to throw in his Greek, Greek nickname there. Twin. Twenty pipes up. Thomas. And he said to the rest of them, let us go that we may die with him. I find that John's actually been a bit funny here. I think he's been a bit cheeky. Bringing out like... But Thomas is saying something, you can hear the humor in it, it's, like, it's, it's almost like you know, when something's really dark and you get that, that light comic relief moment, let us go, we might as well go too, you know, if Jesus is going to die, we should probably die with him, right, we're disciples, that's what we signed up for, come on guys, and he's, he's got this thing going on, and it's like this grim resignation with that edge of humor to sort of ease the pressure off a bit or something. And John's aware of it and he writes it in there. And I think, I actually think he's, he's actually portraying a little bit of personality there. 
But here's the thing. John is a master at the wordplay and seeing the prophetic edge of when people speak. And it's like, Thomas, you have no idea what you're saying. But how true it is. Because this is a theme of discipleship. This is a theme of following Jesus. Let us go. Let's follow him that we may die with him. That is an incredibly powerful truth spoken again and again and again throughout the New Testament. That we may die with him. And yet it's so uncomfortable. Like we shy away from this thought that my life in Jesus is a product of my death in Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, a preacher in Germany during the lead-up to the Second World War, and um, through the Second World War, he was mostly in prison, I believe, and just before it ended, literally just before, he was executed for standing up against an evil regime, speaking out with boldness. He was a man who understood the cost of discipleship. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, in which he said this. There's a famous one-line quote that you hear from time to time. It pops up. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I just want to read out a bit more, like the paragraph that that comes from. Bonhoeffer wrote, The cross is laid on every Christian. So I just really, the Holy Spirit does this. He's in the room, I can't help it, I'm sorry. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death, thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. How wrong we get it when we think what Jesus gives us is a God-fearing and happy life without the cross. What a mistake. Because in such a scenario, Jesus and everything he has done for us stays on the peripheral. But actually that is the center, it's the heart. It's the all, really. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But the power of God 
declares in that death is not the end. It is, as he says there, the beginning. Jesus says in many places, in numerous different ways, that the path to finding out life is to lose it. And unfortunately, the, the lie that Satan puts out in the world that we see so horribly is that death without Christ is an appropriate end to suffering. That suicide is an answer to suffering. That euthanasia is an end to suffering. Apart from Christ, it's not. It's not an answer at all. But with Christ is an entirely different situation. I did something weird and pasted over a Bible verse. I'll look it up. Matthew 10. That's the one. Matthew 10. Jesus says in verse 37 and onwards, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Who else has their father or mother here in the room? I know you love the Lord, and so I know I don't have to apologize to you for this. But in all my life, I will try and love him more. It doesn't diminish my love for you or the value. But that is our call for Christ to be first above all. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. To do so is to make an idol out of another person and to elevate them in the place of God. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I mean, it's kind of frightening, but this is what it really means to belong to Jesus, to actually believe in Jesus means that my whole life is reoriented around that belief of who he is, what he has done, and what my right response to him should be. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. In other words, whoever values their life on this earth, John um, there's a number of places where similar verses are, are quoted, but yeah, John 12, he says something very similar. That sort of helps explain it a bit, I think. Anyone, John 12, 25, anyone who loves their life, you know, if my life, my life, my way, the things that I want... If that's what I love, I can't keep it. 
no matter how hard I try. It will turn to dust in my hands. That's the harsh truth of this life. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. When we reorient all our values, all our priorities, our life here and now around Christ, we discover a life that we would never otherwise have. Paul picks up on this. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. This is what he discovered after his encounter with the risen Lord Jesus on the way to Damascus to brutalize and imprison those rotten Christians and Jesus turns up, gets in his face. (laughs) Paul discovers... Actually, in knowing who he is, in putting my faith and my trust in him, now I know that I have been crucified with him and I no longer live. He had such a radical transformation that he could say, that Paul, that Saul that you used to know as a Pharisee who was so religious and so hateful, he's actually dead. I am so much a different person now that I can say that that person is dead. And instead, Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So powerful. He knew it for himself. And he preached it for all of us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Your death in him is not the end. You have been raised with him. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden in, God, in Christ, in God. And talking about our purpose now in this life, he says, 2 Corinthians 5.15, And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We have a new mission to live for Jesus. My prayer is that we will, that I will. And we can be our own worst critics when it comes to that because we know how weak we can be. But this is the challenge. You know, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, I want to jump back into the story there. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, he finds that Lazarus has already been dead four days now. It takes, he waited two days and then it's a bit of a walk, a couple of days journey to get there. 
Lazarus is dead, well and truly, to the point where they're like, ah, uh, Jesus, I don't think you want to take the lid off that tomb. It's going to stink. It's not going to be good. But he has this conversation with Martha where she's like, if only you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus actually knows that. That's why he said, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't here. Because God has something greater. How much greater is it that we get to experience resurrection rather than just some sort of temporary healing? Lazarus died again. He actually, the first, the first result of him being raised from the dead in this story is that the Pharisees want to kill him. <laughs> again, John's got this sort of dry, dry sense of humor going on in the background. But she says to him, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now. What a statement of faith. Good on you, Martha. God will give you whatever you ask. And she had precedent. People had been raised from the dead in the history of the people of Israel. Elisha raising the widow's son to life. Amazing things had happened. And so she had precedent. And so she knew even now God would give you whatever you ask. And so he says to her, your brother will rise again. And she's heard this kind of religious phrase or this expectation of the resurrection that all God's people will experience. She's like, I know. Yeah, I know. So she's thinking Jesus is, you know, having a teaching moment with her about, you know, there's a resurrection. It's going to be okay. Death is not the end. And she's like, yeah, I I know that. And it's a comfort. It is a comfort to know that. And praise God, Martha already was getting that. But he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Even though they die. And so he's teasing out exactly what she's talking about. Yes. Even though we die, there is a resurrection coming. And he finishes off, and, 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 and I'll finish scripture with this today, but, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That is a question for us to grab hold of and chew on and wrestle with. Do I believe this? Do I believe that following Christ, putting my faith and my trust in him, becomes my mode of existence? Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That is our challenge today.
do I live by believing in Christ? Can we say yes? I'm glad to hear. <laughs> Leslie, my brother, gloriously worshipping face to face. Praise God. What a hope. What a hope. That as the story unfolds, Jesus demonstrates the truth of his words about our eternity by what he does in the present. And he calls Lazarus out of the grave. Lazarus comes. He demonstrates the truth of what he says about our eternity by what he does in the present. That's Romans chapter 1. We could go there. I'll, I'll paraphrase it and mess up the words a bit. But basically, by his resurrection, declared him in power to be the son of God. Demonstrates the truth of who he is by what he does in the present. Now, not all of us get resurrected every time we get sick and die. In fact, it's not that common. But it happens more than we would think. If half, if a fraction of the reports are to be believed of the stories around the world of what God is doing, People are being raised to life all the time. Now the caveat to that is when this body is raised, it still needs to die. God has said you need a new body. That one's broken. And it will keep on being broken until I get you your new one for eternity. Paul calls this a seed. The seed is not like the plant from which grows. That's not good grammar. But anyway, you get my understand. The plant is not like the seed from which it grows. That's a better sentence. But in our present, God continues to display and confirm the truth in our lives. The lives that we live by believing in Christ. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Not by any other means. And sometimes we fall back onto living this life in our own strength in the flesh. We wrestle against that. We wrestle against our propensity for... Believing what we can see with our natural eyes and hear with our natural ears, what we feel and what we experience, whether it be sickness or poverty or pain of all different kinds, whatever it is. But what does Paul say? We read out before, fix your minds on things above, on heavenly things, because that's where your life is now anchored. That's where your life comes from. So we can believe for more, we can believe for greater. Even 
as we believe for healing in this life, we believe for greater than that. That that is not the limit of what God wants to do. Sometimes, even though death is not the end, perhaps death is involved. And as far as our, our self, as far as our ownership of this life, 100% death is involved. Because for me to be raised with Christ, I must also die with him first. I thank you, Lord, that for us, you have nothing less than resurrection power. For us, you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now living in us, at work in us, who believe. And Lord, our belief is imperfect, but yours is perfect. (laughs) Your faith is perfect. And so by the faith of the Son of God, we rest our weak faith (laughs) in your great faith. And Lord, I pray that the power of your resurrection would be so at work in us, Lord that our lives would be extraordinary and would be full of the Spirit of God, Lord. Not just for ourselves, but for all whom you love, for all whom you died for. Thank you, God. Our worship will never be enough to repay what you have done. But we give it, we give it to you, Lord, wholly and completely. Help us to live by faith in the Son of God. Amen. 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 Thank you. Have we got a, another song or something to wrap up with? We don't have to? That's cool. So that was really... You know, God sort of, he does this to me. I don't know about you, but I read something and it just rattles me and won't go away. Let's go with him so that we can die with him. (laughs) And then we come back. When he asks us, do you believe this? And we say, yes, yes, we do. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a great week. If we're going to put some music on, maybe you might want to sit and pray for a bit longer. I don't know. Sometimes I just want to sit after. Um, Or get a cup of tea, some afternoon tea. If you need prayer for anything, just grab someone or come down to us. But Caroline and I don't have any different Holy Spirit than anyone else sitting around you. (laughs) 